All righty, we're going to do it a little backwards today. I'm going to preach, and then we're going to do worship. And so uh, you guys can be seated, and uh, it's going to probably feel a little bit like a classroom to start with on this Friday, but I'm going to preach for about 20 minutes and share some things that are uh, big on my heart, and then we're going to go into a time of worship and just really get this room ready for next week. It's going to be set differently, isn't it? Kind of a, I don't want to say a Maverick City vibe, but it's going to be a little bit different in its, in its setup here, so... Anyway, great to see everybody here today. What a great week we've had, man, with uh, Monday with um, Larry McKenzie was here in the launch of eSports. I just got a note that there's a kid who has never, ever, ever considered, he's a pastor's son actually, ever considered North Central, saw the eSports. We just found out about five minutes ago this story. They called and said uh, he's already applied when he found out that eSports was happening. And so uh, we're going to get a bunch of new students that never would have probably looked our way. So it's going to be a good time. How many of you are gamers? Oh, yeah? Are you like championship gamers? Because the tournaments, the tournaments that are going to happen are um, against... Major, like we're going to play the University of Oregon, UCLA, USC, Harvard, because there's not a lot of uh, uh, universities that have what we're about to do. So we get to play all different kinds of universities. So, hey, I know you just stood up. Let's stand up one more time. We're going to pray over the message here. Let's get on our feet if we can. And then we want to get into this. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about this crazy, big old heavy piece of brass here for just a moment. Um, and I'll tell you about this right now, and I'll make this part of my prayer. So uh, when I was a pastor for 38 years. When you pastor for 38 years, you have literally thousands of people. I pastored three churches over almost a 40-year period of time. And you have thousands of people come through your life. You know, Even though they were church plants, over time it took a little while. They, the Lord got blessed and gave them momentum and mission and all that stuff. But there was this older couple that came, Joe and Millie Petrochi. And I'll never forget, he was just this really super classy guy, six foot four, Italian guy, retired. And uh, he passed away, and, and his widow, Millie, um, was very close with me. And so I actually flew back and did Joe's um, memorial service in Sacramento that got postponed for about seven months because of COVID. And then she said, hey, Joe's got some clothes. And so, like, I don't, I don't take used clothes from a dead person. That's, that was just kind of odd. Till I saw how nice they were. And so then uh, um, I went over to the house and I go, hey, wait a minute. I thought I was being like a charity. These unbelievable cashmere tailored uh, sport coats. Like, are you serious? That's like a $900. What? So I had a change of perspective, you know, once I started. So I put about five major uh, hefty garbage bags of clothes in my car uh, after being at Joe's house. And then she said this, I'm, I'm exaggerating, probably three bags, uh, but it was a lot. Um, she said, hey, I want to give you something else. She said, Joe has five of these, and I want to give you one. We're giving the other ones to the uh, grandkids, his adult grandkids, because was, Joe was probably 80 years old at that time and, um, when he passed. And she gave me this massive, super heavy, it's like 10 pounds, this brass thing, like a big paper. What is this? And it is a key. And she said, this key, there's only one key in America that starts locomotives. So he drove for Union Pacific and Southern Pacific Railroads 
the major huge locomotives that pulled, you know, the big, huge, long trains. He would take out of Sacramento, go to Salt Lake City over the Sierra Nevada mountains. And this key, she said, can get you into, and you can start every engine in this country that's a locomotive with this key. Now, if you hear of some crazed guy that went joyriding in a locomotive, I, you can probably let, is that President Hagen? Because um, I have the key. So why am I telling you this? I have a dear friend that's an intercessor. His name is Sean Gartman. And Sean told me that this key, he said, President Hagen, represents prophetically where you're at in your life. He says, right now the Lord has fitted you over time, over time, starting in when you were in school till now, that you can step into any engine, any setting, and God has given you a key. Because keys are critical for the kingdom. Keys are critical for your Christian life. Keys are everything when it comes to leadership. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm trying to separate myself from you. I'm saying this because I believe the exact same thing is forming in your life. That God is preparing you to step into multiple settings in this world and be able, whatever setting you step your feet into, you're going to be able to have the key, the kingdom key, to ignite and start things that are outside your discipline, outside your degree is what I'm saying. You're not going to be limited to the degree, to the degree of study. Now that may bring you into assignments and settings and responsibilities, whatever you study that's going to hone your expertise. But I think we are kingdom people and we possess a key that we can be wherever our feet go. God activates and uses our life. And so I keep this on my desk as a reminder to my heart and to my life as to what this mission at NCU is all about, where you're all headed, uh, is, is, is God's going to give you a key just like this. Um, it may not be physical, but something's going to happen in your life. And you go, man, I, I feel like God has fitted me for my times that I can start this engine and we can go. Okay, let's lift our hands to the Lord. We've had a great week. Jesus, we just pray over these next few minutes that you would bless our time, God. Bless the word. Bless this room as we begin to lift our voices in praise to you, Jesus. Lord, I pray that things are shared today that will never be forgotten, God. Not because of who is the speaker, Lord, but because of the power of Scripture, God, the power of your word. And Lord, we give you thanksgiving and praise in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Okay, we'll be singing at the top of our lungs here in a minute. The reason I'm preaching first today is this is one of those Fridays. I have got to go out of town uh, and I got to go get on an airplane in a little bit here. It's going to be a busy week. One of my dear friends is being installed as the new pastor uh, at a major church in America this weekend called Hope City in Houston, Texas. Anybody ever heard of Hope City? Uh, it's a great, great church. And my friend Dan Groves is being installed there at Hope City. And he has asked Karen and I to come and be the ones to lay hands on him and charge him uh, in that uh, moment. So we'll be in Houston on Sunday. And uh, then I got some stuff I got to do on a family personal basis. All good. Um, but I, I've got to get on an airplane here shortly. So we're going we're gonna to do word first, kind of go back to the old COVID 2020 model here. Word, then worship. Uh, but we are going to be singing at the top of our lungs. It's been a great week, man. Pastor Ken Johnson. Man, he is just phenomenal, phenomenal. Yesterday, Pastor Demetrius uh, Chester, what a great name is, uh, is that? 
Demetrius Chester. So he tore it up and just did a great job. And so I'm going to share the word a little bit with you. I'm going to take you to two passages of Scripture. The first one is found in 1 Samuel chapter 9. Now I'm going to be straight up with you about this. I fully am aware of one thing today. These two blues do not match, and I know that. Uh, my coat and my sweater do not match. Now, I don't want you to think that, like, what's up with the president? That, that, did somebody help him? I'm wearing this jacket because I was freezing my butt off this morning. And so I put a sweater on, was just going to wear a sweater. I walked over here. I'm shaking. I, I live just about, you know, 100 feet from here. And I was already frozen. And so I just threw this coat on. It was here. So I fully know. So I just don't want you to think, man, hey, someday when I interview, I think I'll go that pattern. No, don't wear these two blues at your uh, interview. I would notice that. So I'm just being straight with you that my clothes look ridiculous. And um, how many noticed that my blues did not match? Did anybody even notice or care? Yeah, see, we got some fashionistas here. We got some people here that, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. First Samuel chapter nine, verse six, here we go. Behold now, there is a man of God in this city. And he is a man held in honor. He's an honorable man. Everything that he says definitely comes true. <clears throat> now let's go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey. If I had to pick a verse in the Bible that describes my hope for the people that are near you, wherever you end up in your assignment or your setting. Some of you are going to live a fluid, missional life. You're going to be bouncing all over the place, not because you're reckless, but because you're open and led by the Spirit. Sometimes people are in one town for their whole life. Sometimes people are in many towns. Whatever God has for you, he knows the best way to water this planet with consistency and spontaneity. I don't know which way it's going to go for you. I grew up, I moved 27 times by the time I was 16 years of age. I hated moving. So I moved a little bit as an adult, but nothing like when I was a kid. So God has put me in some different cities, three churches over almost 39 years of pastoring before I became the president here at North Central University. But this verse describes the experience I want people to have when they're around me. This Bible verse says that Samuel was in this journey to find, uh, in this case, uh, they were looking, it was ultimately going to be a bride, and, but they were looking for uh, donkeys, they were looking for, he had quite, quite a, or Saul was in quite a mobile moment as a young man. So King Saul is out there, he's not king yet, but he is in this journey and suddenly they're kind of lost and suddenly they remember the reputation of somebody that they're near. Sometimes you present yourself formally. Sometimes you present yourself informally to people. But the lasting impression of the kingdom that's in you on them needs to be somewhat similar to this. I've shared this with pastors my whole life when they start churches. The greatest thing that could ever be said about you in ministry, in life, in leadership whether it is in formal local church business, whatever part of the great commission that we all participate in. When people are lost and confused, their mind should hold somewhat of an unspoken reputation about you. They said, hey, some translations say, hey, they were thinking and it came to their mind this. Behold, there is a man of God in this city. We've heard about this dude. There's somebody here. The Bible says he's an honorable person. person. 
which means that no matter where you slice his life, you're going to find the same thing. It's like a loaf of bread. The word integrity comes from a baking term of consistency, which means if you slice the bread here, here, and here, you get the same texture and taste. So if they slice you open on a Sunday and slice you open on a Friday night, they should get the same thing in you. That's the idea. You're the same all the way through. You're a person of, he's honorable. Other people recognize <coughs> what we have recognized. What made him honorable is that all that he said came true. The only way that we can live a life in which all that we say come tr comes true is to live a life that reflects and speaks and counsels the word of God, both in casual conversation and in formal presentation. If we are presenting the word of God in all of our casual dialogue, which means it's framing and giving boundary to what I say, how I speak, and if I'm speaking the word of God and his truth, trust me, all that you say will come true. Be a person of integrity. They said, let's go find this person because perhaps they can help us with our confusion right now. We often think about, I've got to go find confused, lost people. Friends, I'm telling you, lost people find you. Lost people find you. There's a radar in their heart when they are truly desperate. They want to reach out to a person that is steadfast, honorable, a truth teller, that has consistency, and they were saying, perhaps, let's give this a shot. All that they say, he says, come true. Let's go seek him about our journey. Let's go find out uh, what, what to do next from this person of honor. So I want to talk to you for just a few minutes out of the book of Exodus, chapter 4, on how we become honorable in this life. How do you build a reputation so that people have an unspoken awareness of your life that in their time of need, without a business card, you come to mind. You want to live your life in such a way that you come to their mind. Not because you are a celebrity or because you have status, but because you absolutely are the kind of substance they need in their time of confusion and wandering and lostness. That's how I want to live my life. When people say, hey man, I I'm really hurting. I couldn't think of anybody else that I could call. I want to call you. Not because you're Superman, Super Wonder Woman, but because you have an honorable life. You have a track record where you have spoken things that have come true. You want this said about you. There is now, therefore, in this city a man or woman of God. They are honorable. Everything that they say comes true. Let's go find them. Perhaps they can tell us. Perhaps he or she can tell me about my journey. So let's go back into Exodus chapter 4 real quick. If you put the passage up on the scripture here. We're going to talk about Moses. We're going to pick up the Moses story between the time of, of his deliverance, his time in the wilderness. He's around 80 years of age at this time. He spent the first 40 living an elite life, going to Harvard and living in Pharaoh's household and driving a nice ride and just being at the top of everything. And then he went into 40 years of some obscurity where he wandered for 40 years in a wilderness that the Lord would take him back through again a second time. That's typically what the Lord does. He takes you through life a certain way for a certain season. He has you cross the dirt all alone so that you can circle back to the beginning and walk people across the same dirt you just traveled. So Moses is in the wilderness because he has to one day lead people across a wilderness, and he's going to be their guide in that space. So he's done that now. 
saw the burning bush, went to the mountain, received his assignment. He's between what he has been and the space of who we must become. Now remember, I'm never comparing myself to you. If I compare myself to you, I'll lose my way. What am I closing? Not the gap between you and me. I'm closing the gap between who I am currently and the potential for who I can become. Not the gap between us. That's deceptive. That's filled with guesswork. It's filled with insecurity. It's filled with jealousy if I'm comparing myself to you. I focus on the gap of space between who I am currently and the potential for who I can become. I'm closing that gap. So Moses has received, he's wrestled with God, he's tried to cop an attitude, he's tried to get out of the assignment, <coughs> you know, send somebody else, I can't speak, Aaron speaks better than me, and finally God had had enough, and Moses was a worshiper, he acknowledged, he was humble, he prayed before the bush, heard the voice, he had an open heart, and open ear, but he hated the assignment. And he presented a false Humility, and I don't blame the guy. The scale of the request was massive. Go deliver the people out of 400 years of bondage. Are you serious? But he finally wrestles his way to a place of obedience, and now he has left Jethro, the safety of his job and his family. He stepped out in faith, and the, 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 the term for this is a cool term called liminality, a liminal space, it means a threshold. It's the doorway between the place you've been and the place you're about to enter. Sometimes that liminal experience can be years in the making. It's a space between two things, between what you have known and what you've got to learn. The place between where you lived and the place you're going to dwell. And you are in between that space. It's a very vulnerable space. Coming to North Central puts you in that space. It's a liminal space. You're on the way to somewhere. I don't know where you're on the way to. You came from somewhere. You're on your way somewhere. But now we're in this space right here. This is where Moses was. Now watch what happens in the space between saying yes to God and actually doing it. The Bible says in chapter 4 of Exodus, I'll put it up on the screen. It came about at the overnight encampment on the way. Say that with me, on the way. On the way. It's the space in between. On the way. How many feel like you're on the way? I mean, you don't know where this thing is or what this thing is. You've left something to go somewhere, but you're in between it. We go through this not just when we're young. I've done it probably three major times in my professional life. I was on the way. Love the Lord, said yes to the Lord, but I'm on not on my way, but I'm on the way. So he rests for the night. Zipporah, his kid, they're just halfway between. Now, I relate to this. My family, like I said, we moved 27 times. I can't tell you the amount of times I came home from school or hanging out you know, someplace in the summer and saw a U-Haul truck in the driveway, which meant that we're moving again. I was given no notice Came home and says, hey, we're leaving. And uh, we're in a rental property. We're in an apartment somewhere. We're moving to Oregon. We lived in Seattle. Now we're moving to Denver, Colorado. Now we're moving back to California. Now we're moving back to Seattle. Just boom, 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 without notice. So we would load the truck. I could load a freezer 
uh, with a, a refrigerator dolly by age 10. I had skills. You know, I knew how to load moving vans by age 10. And we would load the sucker up in the same thing. Be two o'clock in the morning. My mom's vacuuming the apartment, the rental property. Dad would put the key and he would say, let's get, let's get, uh, let's get going. And so he'd want to get down the highway to wherever this was. This happened over and over again. So I'd jump in the cab of the U-Haul truck with my pop. Mom would be driving the crappy little car that we had. Uh, look it up. It was a Chevy Vega. Google it. Uh, uh, worst car ever made. Google the word pacer. There's another one we had. Uh, um, just these crappy little cars loaded up with laundry, and we would be headed down the highway, and my dad would be there, two in the morning, we'd be driving, uh, and my dad would stop at some Denny's or some little restaurant, and we'd have pancakes at three in the morning. And it was just a regular cycle for us. But I remember those drives. So I'm envisioning Moses is somewhere between the burning bush and Egypt, and he is, he is driving his U-Haul. Three in the morning, everybody's asleep. He pulls off to close his eyes. He goes to this overnight space, an encampment on the way that the Lord met Moses and sought to put him to death. What in the world? What? The dude said yes on the mountain. He's doing it. He's halfway there. <clears throat> it wasn't like he said no. He said yes. Why would you kill somebody, God, that has said yes? What in the world's going on? Now, you learn in Bible interpretation, let the Bible interpret the Bible. So let's read the next verse. It will explain the story. Next verse. So Zipporah took a flint knife, took out a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses. Oh, this all is coming together. He said yes, he's halfway there. He's being obedient, he's just tired, he wants to close his eyes. He parks the U-Haul. The Lord is there and said, you know what? <clears throat> I've just decided to go ahead and kill you now, Moses. So his wife, in response, takes out a knife and circumcises the son. Now, I've seen some upset women in my life. I've been around some upset wives. <clears throat> I've seen them throw the checkbook. I've seen them throw a... I've never seen the wife throw the son's foreskin at her husband. This is a new level. How many could say, man, I understand now. The Bible has helped me understand the Bible. That just, it's all coming together. Worship team, you guys can come and get ready up here. Now watch this. Here we go. This is a very, this is a simple one-point message. Maybe we should just leave it there. Continue the series next year. Okay, I knew that the foreskin thing would get a lot of rumbling. Let's just hang on. Here we go. Now watch this. First of all, their son, this is not the eighth day of his birth. 
He is adolescent, maybe early teen. At least an adolescent. Early, and he's not been circumcised. Oh, there's so many beautiful types to this. I was talking yesterday with Dr. Lear and Dr. Tennyson. We were talking about this passage together. There's so many powerful types. She said, you're a groom of blood because of the circumcision. Next verse. It says, now the Lord said to Aaron, go meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord, which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him. Many believe this is a powerful type of salvation going on and that Moses was about that Zipporah understood maybe in a prophetic biblical sense, you're a bridegroom of blood to me of the blood that was about to be shed on the firstborn in Egypt and the scale of the horror that was awaiting them in this assignment. That's just a speculation of scholars. Some might even say that this is the type in the New Testament of Jesus's baptism and that Aaron could be a type of the Holy Spirit that came like a dove that rested gently after this horrific encounter with Satan in the wilderness. It's a type of even the day of Pentecost, Aaron's coming. It's a type of the law coming to the end and life and deliverance. There's all, this thing is rich. But here, here's, here's what I want you to see in the passage. Why would God want to kill Moses? A guy that had said yes. Same reason he'll come after you and me after we say yes. Because it's not about saying yes. It's about having our heart completely uh, yielded to him. The yes is important, but he, think about this. Moses is about to go lead Israel out of Egyptian bondage. And here Moses, in all of his busyness of life, has failed to fundamentally care for his son through circumcision. He should have been circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. Moses had neglected that. This was all culminating, and the wife comes to the realization that here's my husband. He's about to lead Israel out of Egyptian bondage, and he still has traces of Egypt in him. Because the Egyptian did not circumcise until age probably 13. They practiced circumcision, but it was around age 13. Israel was told to circumcise on the eighth day after their birth. So here you had the leader of Israel leading them out of Egyptian idolatry and bondage, who still is carrying it in his own practice. See, the Lord can find anybody to wear the suit, and I mean that in a non-gendered sense, just wear the uniform of ministry. He didn't need Moses. He chose Moses, but he could find somebody else, just like the Lord can find somebody besides me. Now, there's, there's a heartache and a shipwreck in that because the Lord has great plans for us and wants to use us, doesn't want to move on from us. But saying yes is only part of this equation, folks. On the way, when, when the Lord catches you in no person's land out there, no man's land, that space between what you've known and what you have yet to become, you're out there in that space. That's where the Lord works 
dramatically in our life to make certain that we are getting the Egypt out of our system and out of our practice. Many scholars, that's what I just shared with you is not an insight. A lot of scholars believe that was the scene that was happening and the motive for her action. There's also some wonderful work on the types of what this represented ultimately in relationship to Christ and his covenant. But for me as a leader, for me as a father, as a pastor, I've got to know that just because I'm on the way doesn't mean the deal is done. He's knocking on my heart and he's dealing with things inside my life that look exactly like the world. This is how the world copes. This is how the world thinks, God. You're doing exactly like unsaved, an unsaved person right now. You're trying to reach them and you're behaving like them. I want to get this out of you because I can't use you to the scale that I've designed to use you unless this stuff gets out of your life. Now, however that applies to you, I have no clue. I just think it's one of the craziest, most wonderful stories because at the end of the day, we have to water this earth with North Central graduates. Is that whether you're a live dead, Fortune 500, rural Kansas, and remember being in rural Kansas, one time we had a live dead missionary come here, Northern Iraq, they had 40 people in Northern Iraq with live dead. And it just was like so mysterious and ah, people just gave thousands and thousands of dollars. Oh, wow. 40 people in obscure village, Northern Iraq. It is wonderful. But then we had a pastor come with 40 people in, in rural Nebraska. And people thought, oh, that guy didn't make it. Yeah, he, so he said, we have this weird thing that we do as Americans in the American church. 40 people in Nebraska is every bit as significant as 40 people in northern Iran. So God, I pray God places you in rural Nebraska. You take the whole city for the Lord. I pray the Lord waters the earth with you in northern Iran. I pray that the Lord waters the earth with you at the top of a Fortune 500 company. I pray God waters the earth with you as the teacher of the year in an utterly failing, in many respects, educational system in America that God has placed you as a missionary there. All my education majors, you're missionaries to the public schools. You could not be in a more important place than studying to be a teacher right now. So I pray new strength for you. But we're on the way. And God meets us on the way. Sometimes it feels like he's trying to kill, kill us on the way. I said, yes, God. But he is just getting the, all of that world and practice and secrets and the neglect out of the system so that we can be that person that they say, hey, there is in there for this city a man and woman of God. I heard about them. They're honorable. Which means the person I met last year is the same person this year. They're honorable. What they say is true. It comes true. Hey, let's go find them. Let's go ask her. Let's go ask him about our journey because we don't know what to do next. That's what it looks like when God puts this key in your hand 
for what's yet to come on the way. It's worth it all. Let's all stand together. We're going to worship the Lord for a little while here. How many glad you came to chapel on a, th- on a f- let's see, today's Friday, today's Friday. I'm going to let the worship team start to lead us. We're still here. Pastor Josh will kind of come and guide our Friday prayer time. And, uh, but we love you. Stay on top of your heart all weekend long. Next week, I pray the glory of God fills this room as we take the anointing of what he's doing in Minneapolis all over the world through these videos next week. It's going to be a great week. Let's turn our heart to the Lord this morning. Amen.